God, we thank you so much. We thank you that you are our living hope, that there is no hope other than what is found in the salvation that is through your Son, Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, we pray that we would live in that hope, that we would live through that hope, that that hope would be everything that drives who we are and what we do. And so, Lord, this morning, as we begin to open your word and see what it wants to reveal to us, we pray, God, that you would open our minds and hearts to your word, that, that you would change us from the inside out, that, that we, we would walk out this door today and we would look differently than when we walked in, that we would look more like you and that people would see the Christ-likeness that is in us. So, Lord, again, we thank you and we praise you, and we lift all of these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen. Good morning. I want you to take your Bibles, and I want you to turn to Galatians chapter 5 and Ephesians chapter 2. Now, Galatians 5 and Ephesians 2 are right next to each other. In most of your Bibles, you can probably find Galatians 5, and then flip over one or two pages, and there's going to be um, Ephesians chapter 2. So as you're turning to Galatians 5 and Ephesians 2, let me tell you a little bit of a story this morning. Um, when I was a child, I was a sickly child. I was one of those kids that was, was in and out of the hospital constantly. Uh, no one could figure out what was going on. Until I was about 18 months old, one of the doctors figured out that when I was born, I was actually born with an underdeveloped set of internal organs. So my liver, my pancreas, and one of my kidneys was actually not fully developed. Uh, and it was causing me to be sick a lot. Um, and one of the things that the doctors decided to do to help my, especially my liver and my pancreas, to catch up with my body was to put me on a very, very strict diet. And so from 18 months old until about 10 years of age, I was not allowed to eat any kind of sugar, um, including most kinds of fruit. So I couldn't sit down and just eat an apple. That was something I was not allowed to do. So I couldn't have any kind of sugar. I couldn't have any kind of grain. So uh, any kind of flour, anything made with wheat or oats or rice was off the table. So I couldn't have bread. I couldn't have cake. I couldn't have pastries or donuts or anything like that. Um, and then lastly, the thing that they took me off of was dairy. So I couldn't have any kind of cheese or milk or yogurt or anything like that. So basically, as a child, my diet was limited to meat and vegetables. That was it. I couldn't even have potatoes growing up because potatoes, if you know anything about biology, when you eat a potato, it basically just turns to sugar in your system. That's why French fries are so, well and they're deep fried. But that's why potatoes aren't the best for us sometimes. And many of you may be on or have been on some of those types of diets. Um, but growing up as a child, that was something that was not something I enjoyed. So imagine for a moment, I would go to Christmas at my family's house, and I couldn't have any of the pies or the cakes. I couldn't have any of the breads. And I grew up in a family in Texas where Christmas meant that we would slaughter a pig and make tamales out of it and then made homemade cinnamon rolls. That was my family's tradition. But could I have anything that was involved in that? I could take the filling out of the tamale. That was all I could eat. 
And so imagine birthday parties for my friends. I couldn't have any of the cake. I couldn't have any of the candies that would be out. Halloween, let's not even talk about Halloween for a moment. But one of the things that was, and I don't know how to say it, it was kind of a relief uh, in my childhood, was my mom's dad, my granddad, was a contract welder for oil rigs. And, And he would get up at the ungodly hours of the morning when everybody else is sleeping. He would get up, hop in his welding truck, and he would drive hours and hours and hours to go fix oil rigs. Guys, this is late 70s, early 80s, Texas oil boom time. And so my grandfather was very busy, and he would get up and travel all over the the area at these oil rigs fixing them. Well, if he had a call on a Saturday morning, he would call my mom on Friday, and he would say, hey, can Chad come stay the night, and I want to take him out to a rig with me. And I was his helper. That was what, what, what I got to go do. But I would love to do it. I would go over to Granddad's house on Friday evening, and I would stay the night at Granddad's house, and he would come and wake me up at 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning. We'd get in his truck, and I would go to sleep, and we would drive and drive and drive to wherever this rig was at. But whatever little small town that we were at around 7 or 8 a.m. in the morning, we would stop at the local diner at one of these little small towns uh, that we were traveling through. And my grandfather would let me get a full stack of pancakes with a glass of orange juice and a glass of milk and all the butter and syrup that I could put on it. (laughs) You see where I'm going with this story? And I, as a four- and five-year-old boy, could go through a stack of three full-sized pancakes, a glass of OJ, and a glass of milk, and I was happy as could be. Now, I would come home sick as a dog. I would be miserable for two days, but I would be begging my mother to let me go out the next time Granddad went out for an oil rig call. My Granddad showed me a kindness that doesn't make sense. And that's what we're going to be speaking about this morning. We're going to be talking, continuing in our series uh, on the fruit of the Spirit. We're on kindness. But let's, as we do every morning in this series, let's talk about the fruit of the Spirit. So turn to Galatians chapter 5, which is where we find the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, and we're going to begin in verse 16. Galatians 5, verse 16, and it says this, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other. So that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But, now here's the big thing, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Now, 
as we've been talking about in this series, the fruit of the Spirit are basically an inoculation. They are a vaccine against sin. And so as the church, as followers of Christ, we talk about what it looks like to be righteous, to, to live a righteous and pure lifestyle, to try and avoid sin, to, to stay away from sin. And that's something that, that's an ongoing theme, an ongoing discussion as a Christian. But as I keep saying, the fruit of the Spirit is the way that we avoid sin. You see, if we're living in love and joy and peace and patience, and if we're living in all of those aspects of the fruit of the Spirit, there's no room in our lives for sinful desires. There's no room in us for those fleshly desires that we are trying to avoid. And so the idea, the concept that we want to keep driving this week and the next week and over this nine-week series is that the fruit of the Spirit is the way that we live in righteousness. And so let's do a recap as we've been doing in case you've missed the last few weeks. Um, the first week we talked about love and the whole statement, the whole idea behind that is that love values people over preferences. We take our opinions, we have those opinions, we have our preferences, the way we want things and the way we like things, but those preferences, those opinions take a back seat and will never compete with loving people. Loving people takes a priority. That's the important part. And then we talked about joy the next week. And I gave the story about going to a barbecue place when I was in seminary and then going to class immediately after and, and smelling of, of smoked meats and people being jealous because they knew where I had been. And the whole statement there was, do you stink of joy? Are people jealous of the joy that you have in your life when they see you day in and day out? And then the third week we talked about peace and we talked about uh, the passage in Matthew 7 where it says, uh, don't be so obsessed with the, the speck that's in your brother's eye when you have a plank sticking out of your own. And the idea there, the statement there was to choose his peace over your plank. That plank of pride that we seem to carry and hold on to, we need to let that go and instead choose to live in peace with others. And then last week we talked about patience and we talked about how the trouble with patience, the problem with patience comes down to a lack of trust on our part with God. When we stop trusting God, we have trouble with trust, we have problems with patience. And so when we learn to trust God and trust His will and His desires and His plan for our lives, that's when we can start living in, peace, in patience. And so today, we're going to talk about kindness. And I've got some passages for you that talk about what biblical kindness looks like. And so the first passage is Romans chapter 2, verse 4. Romans 2, verse 4, it says, Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? The idea being is that God's kindness... The kindness that he shows to us is supposed to drive us to repent of our sins. In other words, turn away from the sins that we have in front of us. To turn away from the temptations that we have in our lives. His kindness should be a driving force for us to avoid sin and to turn away from sin. 
Uh, The next passage is Colossians 3, verses 12 through 14. Colossians 3, 12 through 14. It says this. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and... If one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Now, as I've been saying over the last few weeks, you're going to notice, if you read God's Word, you're going to notice that any time a passage mentions one of the fruit of the Spirit, it usually mentions some of the other fruit of the Spirit. You're going to notice in this passage in Colossians that really most of the fruit are mentioned here. Love is mentioned. Peace is mentioned. Patience is is mentioned. Kindness, of course, which is what we're talking about here. Those are all mentioned in this one passage in Colossians because the fruit of the Spirit is not just found in Galatians 5. It is a consistent concept, a consistent theme throughout God's New Testament. Then the next passage is Titus 3, verses 4 through 5. And Titus 3, 4 through 5 says this, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewing, the renewal of the Holy Spirit. You see, this passage, and we're going to focus on a passage here in just a moment uh, that says a very similar thing, but this passage tells us that it's God's kindness that opens the door to our salvation. That, that our salvation, if God was not a kind being, if God was not a kind God, salvation would not be available to us. That, that kindness is a big deal for us as followers of Christ. So, let me talk a little bit about the word kindness for a moment, because as I've said on a a few of these weeks, our English does a disservice to God's Word many times, and kindness is one of those times when the English language just doesn't quite cut it in conveying a meaning. Because when I think of being kind, I'll be totally truthful, when I think of kindness, I think of just being nice. Isn't that kind of what you think of when you think somebody says, you need to be a kind person? What do you think? Oh, I need to be nice, right? Isn't that kind of what your mind conjures up as you, as you think about what kindness is? Our English understanding of kindness is that it is a synonym for nice, for being nice. But biblically, kindness is much deeper. It means much, much more. So, One of the things that if you were to go and search the word kindness in God's word, you're going to see over and over again, Old Testament and New Testament, that God talks about his divine kindness. It's this kindness that has no bounds. It has no limitations. It's very similar to that idea, that concept that we studied a few weeks ago about agape love. It's that unconditional no holds barred, unbounded kindness. And the word that is used when it talks about God's limitless kindness is the exact same word that we find here in Galatians 5. 
So there's a, there's a divinity to this. There's, there's a divine unlimitlessness that we need to understand when we talk about the kindness that the Bible talks about. It talks about kindness, and the Greeks understood, and the Hebrews understood, that kindness was related to mercy and grace. Now, I'll be totally honest, I was kind of taught, uh, probably unintentionally, that kindness was something that someone had to deserve or earn. You know, you, you were kind to people, but kindness was something that, you know, somebody, if, if you were going to be kind to them, it was because they were nice to you or, or whatever. But in the biblical definition of kindness, kindness is not defined that way. Kindness is given just the way agape love is given in that it's given unconditionally and it gives out mercy and grace, which means we give out kindness even if someone doesn't deserve that kindness. Um, it also has a, an element of compassion to it. And so there was an element of understanding that the kindness that Jesus had and has on us is because he has compassion for us. The compassion and kindness are actually interrelated to one another. And then lastly, and this is an interesting one, there is a Greek understanding of the word kindness that means useful caring for others. In other words, it's not enough to care for someone and not have some kind of action as a result of that caring. If you have kindness, kindness always has an active role. It always has something that you're doing for others. It's not just a feeling that you have inside of you. It's always an action that's expressed. It's a useful action that has an effect on other people. So, there is no better example of this kindness than God's kindness. So, I want you to take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians 2. So you're in Galatians 5 right now. You can probably just flip over one or two pages and you'll be in Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2, and we're going to read verses 4 through 9. Ephesians 2, verses 4 through 9. And this is what it says. But because of His great love for us, God, who in His rich mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages we might know or might show the incomparable riches of His grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Did you catch that? Let, let, let me break this down for you for just a moment. Do any of us deserve what Jesus did for us on the cross? No. Not a single one of us could go to God and say, I deserve to be in eternity with you because I did so many good things. None of us could make that statement. And the reason that none of us can make that statement is because every single one of us in this room 
has broken God's law. So think about it for a second. When you see a criminal that is a serial criminal, like he is someone who goes and commits crime after crime after crime, and he hurts people, and he destroys life, and he damages property, if you saw a criminal like that go before a judge, and that judge looked at him and said, you know, I'm a really kind person, so I'm just going to let you go. Would any of us in this room go, that was the right call? Good job, judge. No. Not a single one of us would look at that scenario and go, that was the best way to handle that situation. But do we realize, do we stop and think about for a moment that in reality, we're the criminals? We're the ones who on a regular basis, we are criminals because we break God's law all the time. We don't seek after Him. We don't search out His Word. We don't stay faithful to Him. We're not perfectly obedient to the things He's called us to do. And so we're the criminals. We're the ones who deserve the punishment. But if you go back to this passage in Ephesians 2, what does it say we get? It says, verse 7, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace. What is grace? Grace is getting what we don't deserve. The punishment that we deserve, we don't get that. That's what grace is. Continuing in verse 7, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Isn't that beautiful? That we don't get the punishment that we truly deserve, but why do we not get the punishment? According to this, because of kindness. Because of the kindness that God showed us through Jesus Christ. We don't deserve it. We can't earn it. But because God is kind, we get it anyways. Because think about it for a moment. Jesus Christ was and is the Son of God. And He came to this earth. Think about it. He lived in heaven where He was glorified, where He was worshipped. The angels bowed down to Him and sang His praises and, and sung of how holy He is. He never felt pain. He, he never experienced discomfort. And He gave that up to come and live on this earth for 33 years where He got sick. Where, where he got cold and he got hot. Where, where he dealt with difficulties of life. And he did ministry for three years. And at the end of that ministry, falsely accused, he was convicted and he died on a cross. But why did he die? Because the shedding of his blood is what gives us forgiveness. It's what cleanses us spiritually of the sin that we are so guilty of. Guys, I don't know about you. I have an eight-year-old and a one-year-old son at home, and I love my boys, but I don't care how much I like you. They, I would never sacrifice them for any of you. That may sound harsh, and that may sound uncaring as your pastor, but I love my sons. I love them dearly. 
and you have kids and grandkids, and I would venture to say that it would be a hard decision for you to sacrifice them for the life of someone else. Am I right? That'd be difficult. But that's exactly what God did for us in his kindness. That is exactly what God did with his one and only son to save each and every one of us in this room and every person on the planet. That only happens because of God's kindness to us. Kind of puts a different perspective on what kindness is, doesn't it? Kind of puts a different spin on it. Here's my one statement. If you didn't hear anything this morning, if you have not been paying attention, I want you to look up at me right now. Put your devices down, whatever it is you've been doing. If you've been drawing some beautiful artwork, I want you to pause for just a moment. That's what the bulletin's for, isn't it? It was when I was a child. But whatever you're doing, I want you to look up here. I want you to hear this one statement. Think of what I just talked about, how we don't deserve that amazing kindness that God has given us through the sacrifice of his son. Here's that one statement. We are kind because he is kind. We, as followers of Christ, choose to be kind because he was and is kind to us. He made more sacrifice to show us his kindness than we could ever show to another person, didn't he? And so we choose consciously, we choose intentionally to be people of kindness because he's been so kind to us. If kindness could be put into a bucket, your bucket would overflow because of what God has put inside of it. And we're called to take that kindness and go share it with others so that others can see the kindness of God in our lives. Let me just call something out because I addressed it just a moment ago. You know, when I was younger, kindness was something that was reciprocating. It was something that I would give it if somebody gave it to me. But the kindness that God shows us does not make sense because he gave it when we were the least deserving of it. He gave us kindness when we shouldn't have gotten anything. And so we choose kindness because he gave it when it did not make sense to give it. So we give it even when it doesn't make sense. Even when it doesn't logically add up, we give kindness. Go back to my story of my granddad. Some of you go, oh, it's such a cool story, but your granddad put your health at risk. I don't care. Because you can go back and ask me about anything that happened in my childhood, and I can tell you right now, I don't remember a whole lot of that time, but I remember every time that I went with my granddad and got pancakes. I remember that. Guys, here's the point. Kindness in that moment changed my life. I would not be the man I am standing up here today if it was not the kindness of my grandfather. And did that kindness make any sense? No. As a matter of fact, it defied logic. It's something that he probably should not have done for me physically. But if you flip the coin, it's exactly what he should have done for me mentally and emotionally. He changed my life 
Because he didn't care about kindness making sense. He cared about helping me get through a difficult time. And guys, I guarantee you, there are people in your life that it's really, really hard to be kind to. And most of those people are difficult to be kind to because they're going through a difficult time in their life. And your kindness, through the power of the Holy Spirit, could change their lives. We're kind because He is kind. When we are kind, that kindness flows out and people begin to see the light of Christ inside of us. And it has the potential to help them see the love of Jesus for them. Whether they're followers of Christ or not, if they're a follower of Christ, maybe they need to see some kindness to remind them of the love of Christ in their life. If they're not a follower of Christ, maybe they need to see that kindness so that they can see the light for the very first time. So the Holy Spirit can begin to draw them to Him. But the fact of the matter is, is kindness is life-changing in the lives of the people that we're around. Now let's be honest Because of the kindness that God has shown us, we should be the kindest people on the face of the planet. We should be known. We should have a reputation for the amazing, over-the-top kindness that we show to the world, to every individual that we come in contact with. And so, here's my challenge to you this week. Whether you think you're a kind person or not, I want you to remind yourself every day to be kind. Maybe you need to write it down on a post-it note and slap it on your mirror where you'll see it every morning as you get ready. Maybe you need to to put it in something that you see every day, maybe a work computer or, or maybe as a reminder on your cell phone. But remind yourself every day this week and this month to be kind to the people around you because kindness changes lives for Christ. Join me in prayer. Almighty God, we thank you so much for today. God, we thank you so, so much for your kindness. We don't deserve it. We don't earn it. We can't earn it. But you give it to us anyways. And God, we thank you so much for that kindness. And God, in in response to your kindness, we pray that we would be kind to others. That our kindness would be infectious. That our kindness would would leach out of us and that people would feel it and see it and desire it. That lives would be changed for your son Jesus because of the kindness that we show to others. Help us to be that kind of people. Help us to be those kinds of followers of Christ. Help us to remember day in and day out, good times or bad times, good situations or difficult situations. Help us to remember to be a people that are kind to others. So Lord, we thank you so much for your kindness. And we pray that we would give it back out. And we lift all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen. We're going to have a time where you can come and respond now. And maybe you need to come up to the altar and spend some time in prayer this morning. Uh, Maybe you uh, need to talk with someone. If you need to talk, uh, Pastor Josh and I will be right here on the front row. Just come and grab us and talk to us. But we want to open this time up for you to respond to God. So let's stand and in worship, let's respond.